1: Greetings, and it's meeting time. My friends, Palm Sunday and Easter, they're upon us. And this being a Christian meeting, our mission statement is to carry the message that the only formula for forgiveness of sins, recovery and healing from any type of addiction, requires that we entrust our lives to the one celebrated this holy week, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and to follow his teachings. And each week, We introduce his teachings of 12 spiritual principles found all throughout Scripture. They're known as the 12 steps of recovery, principles that God uses to break the chains of bondage and rescue us from Satan's control. Now, we were to review the 12 steps today, but we're going to put that on hold. This being Holy Week, we're going to examine why we believe and claim that the blood of Jesus purifies us from sins through the miracle of his death, burial, and resurrection. In Hebrews nine twelve, the author pens, with his own blood, not the blood of animals, Jesus entered the most holy place and secured our redemption forever. Now, here's the life lesson. Sin is serious. It offends a holy God, and the penalty for sin is death. Now, under the Old Testament law, God made it possible for an animal to be a substitute for the sins of man. At the appropriate time, Jesus, God in the flesh, often called the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, sacrificed his life on a Roman cross as a final payment for all sins, for all times. Jesus, the perfect substitute, rendered the Old Testament animal sacrifice obsolete, and having finished the work of redemption at Calvary, he went into God's presence. In verse 15, we learn by his death on the cross, Jesus removed the sins which causes separation between God and man. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God as our mediator, defending us from our past, present, and future sins. But for Jesus to be our mediator, our defense attorney, we must come to him in faith, believing he's the highest power, the only power, our Savior. We must go to him in prayer, thanking him for this sacrifice, asking him to forgive us for our sins that put him on the cross, Do you hear that? Our sins put him on the cross, and we must accept this free gift of salvation. Now, having said that, some of you may not have received Christ as your Savior. You may have doubts or questions about this historical event. Well, let's try to settle this matter today. First of all, I've often shared that these 12 steps of recovery, they must be worked in order, but they're all interwoven. For example, in step three, we make a decision to turn our will and life over to God. In step 11, through prayer and meditation, we pray for the knowledge of his will for us and his power to carry it out. Do you see the correlation? Well, the same correlation could be said about the Bible. The Bible contains 66 books of the Old and New Testament. And these God-inspired writings penned by over 44 authors contain God's creation, the fall of mankind, the consequences of disobedience and sin, God's plan for salvation through Jesus Christ, restoration of his broken creation and people, and Christ's second coming at the end of the age. And it took thousands of years to write these 66 books. And when we're taught, study, and research, we discover these love letters, they're all interwoven. Now, let's confirm this by referencing the book of the prophets, which is in the Old Testament. And a prophet is one who speaks for God. And these writings came on the scene 930 years before Christ's birth. And they peered into the future foretelling the coming of the Messiah to save you and me from ourselves. They foretold of his death, burial, resurrection, his power and glory, the restoration of his chosen people and Christ's universal reign. The prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of Christ 740 years before he was born. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. He will be called Mighty Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, let's fast forward these 740 years to the first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew. We find Mary, still a virgin, becoming pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the Lord's message through the prophet. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Do you see the correlation? My friends, God has gone to great lengths to identify with us through the baby Jesus. Hebrews 2.14 explains it this way. We're human. We're made of flesh and blood. Well, the son also became flesh and blood. He took on a human form. For only as a human could he die, and only by dying could he break the devil's power of death and be a sacrifice for our sins. And since he went through suffering and testing as God in the flesh, he understands us, and he's able and ready to help us through our testing, our trials, our suffering, and our temptations. God in the flesh has come to seek and save the lost. Amen? Now, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry, and it consisted of choosing his disciples and meeting the needs of others with a servant's heart. He calmed the storms. He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and he drove out demonic spirits, demonstrating that he is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's go back to the Old Testament. In 480 years before Christ was born, the prophet Zechariah wrote these words. Look, your king is coming, humble and riding on a donkey. Let's jump ahead these near 500 years in Matthew. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy on Palm Sunday, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and accepting the people's proclamation that he was indeed King of Kings as they shouted, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem like a conquering king riding on a war horse. No, 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 no. He didn't come for war, but he came for peace and salvation between God and us. And just five days later, He was put to death, as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53. He was beaten so we could be whole, crucified for our sins. The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And Jesus confirmed the prophecy of Isaiah in Matthew chapter 20. They will sentence the Son of Man to death. He will be mocked, flogged, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be risen from the dead. And it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke after this crucifixion. A late Friday afternoon, Joseph, a righteous man, wrapped Jesus in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb. And the brave women of Galilee, they went home to prepare spices and ointments to anoint his body But when they finished this preparation, the Sabbath had begun, so they had to rest as required by law. And Jesus' followers, they were stricken with grief and sorrow. They weren't anticipating a resurrection, even though Jesus told them repeatedly that he would rise on the third day. And in despair, make it not so, might well describe how Jesus' followers felt after his death. You talk about feelings of bewilderment, doubt, and hopelessness. But little did they know the Sabbath's intermission was setting the stage for history's most dramatic scene. Jesus was about to do the unbelievable. He would make death itself not so. He would arise from the dead. It was early Sunday morning when the women went to the tomb. And an angel appeared and said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He is in here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said. And they rushed to tell the disciples. But Jesus greeted them with a single word, rejoice. And in amazement, they fell at his feet and worshiped him. Now, the New Testament Gospels, meaning good news, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record this good news that Jesus showed himself alive from the dead. They saw him, they touched him, they ate with him, and they prayed with him. And then Jesus reminded the disciples that everything written long ago about this death, burial, and resurrection in the prophets and psalms must be fulfilled, and they were eyewitness of all these things. And then he promised that he'd be with them always through the Holy Spirit and for them to go into all nations and preach the message of salvation that gives eternal life. Later, in the book of Acts, we learn that Jesus remained on earth for 40 days before his ascension into heaven, proving in so many ways that he was indeed alive. And in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul, who at one time persecuted Christians, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed forever forever. He became a selfless and dedicated missionary. And he recorded that Jesus was seen by more than 500 people before his ascension. You talk about a life-changing experience. Now, let's talk about doubt once again. Thomas, one of the disciples, he doubted the resurrection until he saw and touched Jesus. And Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The book of Jude teaches to show mercy to those that have doubt and to rescue them from the flames of judgment. My friends, this is not a fairy tale. This is the greatest story ever told. It's historical, factual, verifiable. And reliable. This miracle was orchestrated by God to save you and me. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is weaving the story of the King of Kings, the great I am, Jesus Christ coming to earth to save mankind. The Bible teaches faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Now you just heard from the word of God. So what are you going to do with all this? Are you ready to put your faith in God in the flesh? Are you ready to be resurrected from your sins, eternal damnation, hopelessness, and your addiction? Romans 10:9, it's written. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Folks, the savior He's ready to break your chains of bondage. He's ready to ransom you, to set you free with his amazing grace. Jesus, he's alive and well. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And he's waiting to hear from you. Happy Easter.